0: Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hey everyone, do you hear the annoying hum in the background of this recording? Well, turns out I think I cooked our mixer last night by leaving it plugged in and covered up with a towel, and we can't get rid of that noise. I can't filter it out in post because it distorts the sound of Matt and I talking. So for this episode, we had to share a USB microphone plugged into my computer, so you'll hear a little bit of thumping and a little bit of background talking and whatnot as we just do the best with what we had at the time. I'll be shopping for a new mixer, and hopefully we will get everything sorted out by next recording. Thanks for your patience, and enjoy!
1: Hello and welcome to episode 115. Tonight's show is going to be brought to you by one of three things. It'll either be Matt's smooth jazz voice or late night DJ voice because we're sharing a microphone. And because of that. again, Because I'm trying to not be too loud since normally Andrea's turned up and I'm turned down. I'm going to try to be really smooth. So it's either brought to you by sharing a microphone, meat rice burps, or Land Rover Discoveries or Kenny's back from Europe. One of those. Who's going first? Patrons? Cool. Great. I don't even know how to work Andrew's computer. We haven't recorded in a million days. We're going to start over here at $10 a month. Is that all of them? We're going to start over here at $10 a month. We've got Zozo, Zach, Will, Tom P, Todd, The Realer, Jake D, Ty, Tennessee Zach, Taper Boar Pro, SCG Shuko, Sam Pecklin Racing, Sam, Ryan, Riding Spinners, Parker, Noah, Nick, My Pal Dal, MTB Shenanigans, Lloyd Christmas, Leland, Kitty Kitty Sucks, Ken, Josh, Josh, Jeff, J.C., Dix, Jig D. I ride a bicycle because I have a small penis. Who's not Jake D? That's a different person. Green Giant, Gordon, G-Man, F. That guy, Mark, Ezra, Trilla, G, Evan, Eric, Drew, Peeballs, Droopy Balls. Got it. Uh, Captain Fickle, Cam <laughs> Irish, Billy, Sing- Billy Singlespeed, Billy Single Speed, Bill, Bo, Baggins, Alec, A.J., Aaron. We got Esker cycles at eleven sixty nine. We're going to pay the Esker tax this week, too. Uh, we got Lead Out Sports and Josh Miantezza with 14 kangaroo ears. Dean with 16 and a half. Scott is starting with us 20s. We got Poop Wrench, Joe, Brady, Anthony. Wait, did I miss somebody? No. Anthony, Affordable Trail Solutions, Harley at 30. Troy, the enabler at 31. Brad at 32. And Six Pack Outdoors at 50. So. Oh, wait. We don't need to close that yet. We need to read Tom's. Thing. Uh, so. I'm going to, I guess, start things. Uh, we haven't recorded in roughly Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So it's been like eleven days. Life happened, things happened. Andrew and I didn't record for some reason. I don't remember what it was on Wednesday.
0: Because Kenny was coming back into town, we were. I don't remember what we did, but Kenny was actually back from europe and he was sick and asked if we could do thursday and then thursday you went and
1: that's right so thursday i took friday off work um let's go back in time to the last saturday i rode my bike outdoors with parker and i fell apart really hard because i hiked a long ways before that doing some uh deer scouting and then uh like tuesday i think Troy just puts this terrible bug in my ear that, hey, at you pull and pay, there's a Land Rover Discovery 2 with a freshly rebuilt engine. The the truck had a ton of flood damage, and the person rebuilt the engine, and then turns out a truck that has a ton of electrical stuff that's been flooded just doesn't magically start working when you fix the engine.
0: Wait, so you bought an engine that has been flooded?
1: no. I bought the engine out of a truck that had been flooded and had the engine replaced.
2: Okay. Wait, so you so bought, like all you the, bought the wiring
0: harness and all that stuff has been swamped with water. You, you're, I understand that a wiring
1: harness is all going in the trash because everything is a direct replacement for the vehicle that I'm purchasing or I purchased purchasing.
2: Okay. So you bought, you bought an engine from, yep. a, from a flood vehicle for a vehicle that you don't yet own. Yes. <laughs> Ph- phenomenal phenomenal plan i think
1: so here's the thing it's a known issue on land rover discovery twos that they will the head gasket will blow and then people will drive them until they don't drive anymore and then they'll sell it and they'll be like i don't know why it's overheating so logically it makes more sense to have a freshly remanufactured engine while you're scouring Craigslist for a deal of a truck than it is to go buy a truck that needs an engine and then get to the you pull and pay and the engine's gone.
2: I like it there's a because t- it sounds like something that I would do.
0: Kenny, I think you and Troy would get along famously.
2: <laughs> or fight. <laughs>
0: because this was all Troy's idea.
2: <laughs> uh. Well, yeah, if you know you're going to go into something, like you might as well just go hard and then get some spare stuff. Yeah. Back in the car oh. days, I used to end up with like random engines and stuff.
1: Dude, when we talk about going hard, I'm like marble right now. Like I'm going hard. Um, so, like a, diamond. like a diamond. So, I took off Friday because that's, that's why you have PTO, is so you can go to the junkyard and pull spare engines. Um, so on Thursday I drove over to Colorado Springs. Friday morning, went over to the Colorado Springs U pull and pay and was in line before they opened. And by so they opened it at like nine oh one and by ten fifty five or eleven oh three, I can't remember, the engine was hanging in the air. We had the engine was all the way out of the truck. And this is a direct replacement for what is in all these trucks which means when we were removing it oh here's the butt connector cut it on the truck side oh here's a wiring harness cut it off against the firewall with a sawzall because none of that will be reused the the engine will be reused but all the ecu and everything from the the truck will be plugged into this motor so we could remove it kind of uh brutally i think is the best way to put it
0: haphazardly
1: Well, I mean, I may have taken a Sawzall and cut the front radiator support out of the vehicle and then beat in all the sharp edges with a hammer.
0: I mean, I think it is worth mentioning here that, I mean, at least what you told me was that if you ended up not buying the truck that wasn't running that needed a motor, that Troy would just have this engine as a replacement for his own if he needed it.
1: Well, see, what had happened was, by the time we got the motor in the air... I bought like at the at the checkout counter. I paid for the motor. I'm like, no, this is mine. Like, (laughs) I'm I've got disco fever now. So I, so question: Is there a
2: reason that you want an unreliable English car?
1: Yes. Okay. It's because I'm a fucking idiot.
2: Okay. I mean, that's fair. (laughs) I was just curious
1: because
0: his best friend has because his best friend has one and he wants to match him.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that. When, when, so you've talked a lot about cars in the past and how people would come in and they would have bought like a pre-owned Mercedes and then they're just absolutely crying because it needs all this service that's no, not being kept up with, Sure, right? I think that's the problem with like when Land Rovers are built as unreliable, I think it's because they fall into that same category. I think they have a little bit more service required than your standard like Chevy shitbox, right? And... People don't do that stuff, and then suddenly everything's falling apart. You know, the whole truck has just gone to shambles because it needed a little bit of stuff a hundred times, and it was never taken care of. So, um, yeah, and I can't go out and buy a new 4Runner and then roll it over and not cry and have a bunch of payments left. But if I bought this and, like, a year from now it ended up, like, turtled over on the trail with, like, all four wheels in the air, like, I'd be bummed, but I wouldn't be financially devastated, so.
2: Sure. And I guess, I mean, there's obviously a big community around these things and probably lots of information. And at least it sounds like you know what you're getting into. So that's good.
0: He at least has a friend that has had one long enough that he knows how to help Matt when Matt gets in trouble with it.
1: Well, and, and maybe one other like thing here is this isn't going to be my daily driver, number one. Number two, I don't drive, meaning I work from home. I go to the grocery store, or go mountain biking. My truck that I've owned for seven years has only accumulated 34,000 miles. Like, I don't put a ton of miles on vehicles. So, you know, if if I bought this and I was like, yeah, I'm going to commute an hour each way every day, you'd be like, you're a fucking idiot. You know, but if I bought this and I'm like, yeah, this is essentially a glorified street-legal tractor and I'm going to go dick around with it, I, I think that's a, a lot different way to approach it. So I have um, I have
2: more questions.
1: <laughs> can I finish telling the story or not? Uh,
2: No, not right now. So... Okay, go. <laughs> Couple questions. Uh, they're serious questions. I'm not trying to be a smartass anymore. I don't think. Um, are, ultimately, are you trying to? Do you want like a a toy thing where you can do local wheeling, or are you ultimately trying to like, for example, do like an Alaska trip or something like that?
1: No, the truck. Like, I could envision myself hunting out of it locally. Running to town when I'm going mountain biking, Um, you know I'm four hours from Durango. I'm six hours from Moab. You know I don't see myself driving this to Alaska. I don't see myself driving this down to the southern tip of South America. You know, in you know next summer, if I wanted to come out and see you, I could drive it to Utah. You know, I'm I'm not necessarily like going to be driving this for you know, a 6,000 mile trip. Does that make sense?
2: It does. But also, is this thing going to be set up like big boy, like lockers and big wheels and tires, and you want to actually be able to like kind of rock crawl with it? Or are you trying to keep it like, you know, is it more of a fun thing because it's a car project? Overland
0: is fuck, boy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, are you going to go for actual like I want to get up things? Or are you going to be like, you know, the bolt-on king?
1: (laughs) So Land Rovers are all-wheel drive. They're all-time all-wheel drive. And certain models have a center differential lock, which makes them perform like a standard four-wheel drive vehicle. And my idea is a roughly 32-inch tire with a very small amount of lift. The truck that I've committed to and I'm going to pick up in the morning, it has a winch. It has rock sliders. The front bumper on the truck was homemade by the previous, previous owner. Like, the person I'm buying it from, they didn't build it.
0: The third owner, Hellcat.
1: Sure. Um, and that bumper needs to go away. But my goal is, again, 32-ish tire. Because it's it'll be... I'm going to run barely larger than stock tires for not needing to re-gear the vehicle. With center diff lock, it'll be true four-wheel drive. With the winch it will be able to drag itself places it didn't want to go. With the sliders, hopefully it won't get torn up when it gets drugged places it didn't want to go. But I'm never going to go rock crawling and hard wheeling. But I'm at, like when I say something that if it rolled over, I wouldn't be financially devastated, if I took Andrea's truck out and it slipped off the trail in a brand, like a six-inch log stabbed through one of the doors, that would fucking suck. But if I did that to an old Discovery... I could put a mismatched door on it and just fucking drive it. Sure, So that's more the plan. And, I mean, nothing bad has happened to my truck yet, my my Nissan, but I don't necessarily care about that truck, meaning I I take care of it. I do maintenance that it needs. I, I don't treat it poorly.
0: Does this mean that you're going to jump the mini truck after you have this one, like, running and built?
1: No, because any import four-wheel drive four-cylinder truck with under 200,000 miles can be sold for a shit ton of money
2: and ultimately so, do you think you would get rid of your Nissan or would you keep it
1: well like you said it's an unreliable vehicle right the The, the Land Rover is not the reliability king so I have a feeling there would be a period of overlap and then a decision made but gotcha. I bought a $400 motor and an Eight hundred dollar truck and quick napkin math at twenty five to thirty two hundred dollars. Doing everything right, new tires, uh, replacing suspension parts, replacing a bumper, getting all the you know, rebuilding the differential, rebuilding the. There's some relocation that needs to be done. That you know some of the the. Serviceability issues of that motor can be solved by like relocating the distributor, relocating the thermostat. It uses a Discovery specific thermostat, or you can buy this aftermarket kit where you can run like a seven dollar AC Delco thermostat. Doing all those things to do it, let's call it right. I think at thirty, let's call it 32, 35 even. Uh, I won't have a ton of money into the truck, so I won't be in a position where I have to sell the Nissan to. Let's call it finish the rover. It's not like oh, well, if I sell the Nissan for four thousand dollars, then I could buy the tires and the wind. I'm not, I'm not gonna be in that position, and I'm not going full overland. No rooftop tent, no rooftop basket. I'm, I'm gonna try to keep everything low and light because that's what makes driving my truck so well. Like it drives great.
0: Well, and we also have uh, that Kelty. I forgot the name of the tent now, but it's a, it's like a really large tent that sets up behind the truck and has an awning that connects to the the tailgate of the truck or goes above the tailgate of the truck and, like, actually connects to the top of the truck. I've used it once with the 4Runner. I got it when I didn't know if I was going to be hunting way further from home in September. Um, and it was just going to be kind of my replacement. Last year I had uh, Tom's camper. camper. Sorry, my brain is not functioning today. Uh, I had Tom's camper and I was like, well, it was really nice to be able to like have a good place to change clothes where I could stand up and, you know, have a place to store non-food stuff, you know, using the tent kind of like storage and the awning is just like a little living space. It's actually a really nice setup and it weighs, I I mean, it's a heavy tent, but God, compared to a rooftop box or something or a rooftop tent, it's super light. I mean, you just Carry it around in a bag, and uh, it gives you way more space. And you can set up, yeah. You know, if you want to sleep in the truck, you can. Um, if you want to sleep in the tent, you can. It's it's just really nice.
1: Yep. So,
2: so you were you were you were o- continuing. You've given us lots of good background info on the vehicle and what you plan to do with it. But I think you were perhaps continuing a story on procurement of this vehicle.
1: Yeah. So. Thursday night, I drove to Colorado Springs. Friday morning, I pulled a motor. I power washed the motor, dropped it off in Troy's storage unit. Because I can't break the rule of no running vehicles at home. So all this has to be done at Troy's. (laughs) Um, And then I drove to the vehicle, which for those of, like I tell people I live in the middle of nowhere, this dude lives in nowhere. So I drove to this dude's house. Troy followed me out there. Looked at the truck. The truck passes. Uh, you know it. What year is It's it? one of those things. Uh, Two thousand with one hundred and twenty-six thousand miles on it. Gotcha. Sure. The engine has blown a head gasket and then subsequently failed because it was driven too much after that. But the it's got a tiny bit of panel damage on it. But you know, pretty rust-free vehicle. Like you know, normal surface rust on the frame and stuff, like you'd see on a twenty-three-year-old vehicle. But not like you know, you can't like stick a screwdriver through the frame and total rust bucket or anything and committed to buying the car came home last night and then got up this morning went deer scouting and then went to rent a trailer and i couldn't rent a trailer because there's no trailers from u-haul in salida i called everyone i know that might have a car trailer and one dude was like oh he answered and he's like yeah i got one uh it's in my backyard just go get it so i went and grabbed a pretty nice A really nice uh, tandem axle aluminum trailer. Are you pulling that thing with
2: your Nissan? Please tell me.
1: (laughs) Let's just say that the towing capacity of the Forerunner and the total capacity of the Land Rover and the Forerunner are margins of error within one another so I'll be driving very slow and carefully and I'm leaving very early in the morning to avoid as much traffic as possible
2: but you're not pulling it with the Nissan no oh man
1: can <laughs> you just want me to die no
2: like... I I encourage people to do things in vehicles that they were not designed to do
1: yeah, I mean, it's a, fi- it's a truck that has a 5,000-pound towing capacity. It's a 4,500-pound truck, and I'm sure the trailer weighs more than 500 pounds. But also, that towing capacity is designed around total morons and people that are probably not being very cautious or thinking about the dangers that they're shaking hands with.
0: Well, and also people that want to throw an RV on there that's, I don't know, 8,000 pounds and drive it across the fucking country.
1: Yeah. I mean, like Andrea said, those dudes, you see them coming home from an auction and they're towing. They have, you know, an S-10 that they're towing an a Zuzu Trooper behind. Like, that's not okay. They're not all dead.
0: <laughs> as far as you know.
1: Yeah. I
2: used to pull trailers with the Daewoo.
1: Yeah, it went fine. The Daewoo's great. It still runs. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean it didn't. Right? It, it did and it didn't. Um yeah. Yeah, quite a bit of the unibody's like torn in the back of that vehicle I found out.
0: <laughs> oops. Yeah. Oops.
2: <laughs> it never towed more than like two thousand pounds.
0: <laughs> the hunt, like the civic.
2: Yeah, so it ne- it never towed more than it weighed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Is that all you have? Uh is that all you want to talk about?
1: I I think I've used up all my allotted time.
0: All right. I'll go next because mine is short and quick. I have been out bear hunting and have not been at all successful yet. Um, I don't, I mean, I know basic behavior of bears and what signs to look for to know if there is a bear in the area. So I I have a a question. Okay.
2: (laughs) If you shoot a bear, what the fuck are you going to do with that thing?
0: I'm gonna eat it, and I'm going to. <laughs> what? Bear meat's good. Matt, no, Matt and I actually I'm, had. I'm not
2: saying that at all. I'm just saying that. Uh, don't you already have like a ginormous animal that's taking up every orifice in your? In Shit, your storage we've already. Ability? We've probably
0: already eaten like thirty pounds of that stuff. Okay. We
1: have not eaten thirty pounds, but here's the cool thing about wild game. If if you call your friend and you're like, "Hey, I got a bad idea." I want to buy a rover that doesn't run and park it at your house. They're like, you bet, I'm in. If you call your friend and you're like, hey, I've got more meat than fits in my freezer... Can I store some at your house? They're like, you bet, I'm in. And I'm sure every <laughs> once in a while all, they just go out there. Is this all the get a same friend? Like, hey, no. I need
2: to borrow a trailer. No, hey, multiple... can I store this at your house? Hey, I shot a bear and I don't know what to do with it. I'm gonna put it in your. Garage. No,
1: no, like multiple people are letting us store meat at their house.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we could get the meat from Tom's house if we needed to and put it at the the other freezer that's closer to our house at at our our neighbor Lynn's house. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, we have access to plenty of freezer space, and we also have plenty of people that we can give meat to. I mean, outside of friends, we are in a rural area. There are some people around here where if you just ask around, ask on the local Facebook page, I mean, I could literally put a post on our local Facebook page, and I thought about this, like when I, the very last day of elk season, I actually went out and tried to... See if I could find a cow elk and fill my cow elk tag also with the express plan of processing it and then putting a post on Facebook saying, hey, I have a surplus of game meat. If there are people in our community that need help or either that are like just privately like contacting the volunteer fire department or something and saying, look, if there are people that you know of that I could get in touch with and donate some meat to I would be more than happy to like I would absolutely given a surplus outside of friends I would absolutely just give food to people who are you know hard up for feeding themselves and feeding the family feeding their families but yeah so I I, I, there are definitely people that we can you know give meat away to if we're in the position where it's like uh, this is you know We're coming up and you can eat frozen meat for indefinitely, but eventually it starts to kind of lose like taste and texture after about a year. I've definitely seen people, friends I follow on Instagram, Facebook and stuff. They're like, oh, this is from, this is a, an elk roast from 2020 and they're cooking it and eating it. You know, it's, it's not like it's dangerous or anything, but if I did need to give meat away, I would absolutely, um, you know, I could, I could feed people. But I've been bear hunting, and uh, outside of that, I just want to give a shout out to Stance Socks. I got a pair. I got them in my size based on their size chart, and I'm not like on the edge of their size or anything. And these were like way too big. Like, Matt tried these on, and they fit him. He wears a size 12. And I contacted their customer service, and I said, hey, this kind of sucks. This sock, I hike for a while, and it starts bunching up around my toes, and it's not comfortable, and all this stuff they emailed back. They're like, hey, sorry you don't like them. Here's a code for a new pair. Get, you know, try a smaller size. Cool. And I emailed back to the person. I was like, well, you know, is, like, is this kind of a one-of thing? Is it just this model? Like, what, what's going on? Because it seems like it should work. And he's like, you know what? Here's a code for another pair of socks. So I can get two free pairs of socks because my <laughs> one free pair, or my one pair that I bought didn't didn't work for me. So, yeah, I'm going to try that exact same sock in a small. And if that doesn't work, I'll just have a code to get something else. So it's pretty cool. So shout out to them for being pretty awesome. But that's, I had something else I'm going to remember, like, either halfway through, like, we're going to be halfway through new shit. And I'm going to be like, oh, wait, it's one other thing. But uh, yeah, so that's that's been my week. Uh, I'll talk more about hunting on the, the Antlerless podcast. Because I feel like I have overwhelmed our listeners with hunting content recently.
1: <laughs> Kenny, tell
2: us about Europe. Go. Uh, it's not Wait, super I have been yelling. it's not super on topic with biking, so I guess I'll try to keep it relatively short. Uh, but yeah, basically went to Europe and I spent roughly a week in Croatia and then roughly a week in Germany. So I guess starting with Croatia. I didn't really know much about it going into it. It was just an opportunity to meet up with family that I haven't seen in a little while. And everybody was just going to meet up there. So it was family and then kind of like friends of family. And it was just a big group of people. I think it ended up being like 18 to 20 people. And yeah, so I didn't know what to expect. I did some quick Googling around of just like roads and uh Geography, just to kind of see what Croatia was like. And it seemed like they had lots of cool roads and mountains and all that stuff. Other than that, Croatia is basically a giant coastline. And other than that, I had no idea what to expect. But yeah, showed up and pretty cool place, turns out. So, highly recommend Croatia for just general vacation stuff. It's definitely, I'm sure there's a zillion things to do. Like there's off road tours and all kinds of other stuff you can do. But generally speaking, it's like, you know, restaurants and shops and just like hanging out on different beaches. Uh Definitely a big boat culture out there. Not surprisingly enough. They have tons of islands, it turns out. And some of those islands are freaking dope. Like tons of islands. And yeah, you got to obviously boat to them. But they're all like fairly inhabited, which is pretty wild, even though they're like, semi in the middle of nowhere they've all got like pretty decent infrastructure on them which is pretty crazy and all kinds of crazy cool history and i could go on that stuff for a while but yeah we did like a whole day-long boat tour which was super cool um went to a whole bunch of islands was
1: anyone's dick out on the boat (laughs) nope just mine okay cool so yeah that's what i needed to know yeah continue
2: yep and yeah boats boats are really neat um they're pretty expensive So they're cool when they're not yours. And yeah, a lot of cool islands. They're all really pretty. All kinds of cool like World War II era stuff. Because basically like super high level for people out there. If you don't know, because I learned all this stuff recently. uh, Croatia was part of Yugoslavia. And Yugoslavia had, I don't know how many, but probably we'll call it like six to eight countries. Um, You know, you got like Serbia and Bosnia and a whole bunch of other places in croatia and they all at some point i don't know the full history of it but it became yugoslavia but yeah lots of people were pissed off about that so croatia was like yo i want fucking out of yugoslavia and they had like a fairly recent like war of independence i think 1991 through 95 so like pretty recent anyway and basically they just busted up yugoslavia and got out of there but now they're part of the European Union, so it's really easy. They use Euros, like all travel is really easy. And most people, I'd say 50% or so, seem to um, speak English or at least understand enough so you can uh, kind of do some basic communication. And yeah, the whole country is like fairly nice. Uh, some other takeaways are fairly big middle class, I feel. There's not, I really didn't see any ultra poor people. I didn't see any like ultra rich people. Um, I think it's just like a a cultural thing that, that you don't like um, you don't flaunt you don't flaunt your wealth so much out there um, if you are wealthy so I don't know the overall pretty cool vibes and nice place uh, I would say it's probably 75% cost of like average US stuff so as far as going out to eat and you can have like a super nice meal for fairly cheap not like Mexico cheap but um, definitely not too expensive um, what else about it? Yeah, I went to a bunch of islands. If you're into like, you know, the party scene, they've got like party islands and stuff. We went to <laughs> we went to uh, Havar, which is like the super bougie party island. So if you're bored, you can look that up H V A R. That place is baller. And yeah, so that kind of covers like geography and all that stuff. Oh yeah, so all the all the beaches are like super nice. It's crazy, and they're not they're not like sand beaches. They're all they're pretty much all rock. But, like, small rock that you could, like, walk on that would be, like, comfortable to hang out on. Not, like, jagged, nasty. Like like, pebbles? Yeah, kind of pebble stuff. So, super nice, clear water. Because I think it's on the Adriatic Sea, if I'm not mistaken. And it's kind of, like, a protected sea. It's not, like, wide open, like, Pacific or Atlantic. So, they don't get all these crazy storms, I don't think, is my understanding. I think it was, like, unseasonably warm slash just nice when we were there. Um, so yeah, all the beaches are super nice. There's pretty much no private beaches. They've just worked it out that way. So you can, any coastline, anywhere, you just like roll up with your boat and you just hop off and do whatever the fuck you want, which is pretty cool. And the beaches are just endless. And it's like the same super nice beach everywhere you go on every coastline. It's really crazy. So super cool country, super nice place. All the people were pretty nice. And yeah, you could probably find some more off the beaten path stuff to do. Like you could definitely do some genuine exploring out there. And I did a little bit of that. So we did boat stuff and normal kind of touristy stuff. And that was fun. Uh, but for two days I rented a scooter and just like drove it up into the mountains and just like tried to intentionally get lost. Essentially. It was pretty damn cool. They had some awesome roads. I think they put a bunch of money in like the 2000s into just infrastructure and roads so most of the roads are super nice definitely european roads like they're narrower and everything but super curvy pretty well paved and yeah found my way up to a few pretty tall mountains it was like really neat so maybe i'll find some video or photo that you guys can check out but i think you could have a ton yeah, I'm kind of, of fun. looking
0: i'm looking on uh, google maps right now just like the terrain view and it does look like there's some really nice
2: so right off, yeah, right off the coastline, it pretty much goes immediately to mountains. It's pretty crazy, mm-hmm. and it's that way almost everywhere. But I was in kind of the Split area for those that are curious. Not really in Split proper. I was a little bit uh, northwest of there in a little bit more chill part. So another thing that was kind of interesting is I just made the realization in a lot of the places I was at that, like, this is going to sound really silly, but everybody was Croatian. It wasn't i know it's a pretty tourism is getting really popular there for sure and in split proper and especially in like the downtown it is definitely touristy but everywhere else it's just like normal people going about their lives which is kind of cool so you're not like when you go to a restaurant it can be weird because like people might look at you a little bit but you know you just smile and order something and everybody is nice and yeah kind of cool couple other takeaways uh everybody smokes It is insane. It's just, I'm so, I'm not used to that at all. I mean, smoking in general in the U.S. has fallen in popularity in a huge way, which is fantastic. Plus, in Utah, nobody smokes. They just do not. They
1: don't drink (laughs) Coca-Cola.
2: So, I mean, I know that's kind of an LDS thing here for sure, but nobody, like nobody smokes here. And it was such a, a shock to go back to that. And I don't think Croatia was – definitely Croatia is probably more smokers than the rest of Europe, but not by an insane amount. So I'll get to Germany in a second, but a lot of people smoking in Germany too. I want to – I'll hit that in a minute. So anyway, that's kind of Croatia in a nutshell. Did some scootering. It was really fun. Um, I didn't die. I rode some roads pretty fast. I rented like a big scooter, um, so it could do like – I don't know. It would do like maybe just under 80 miles an hour. And yeah, it was cool. The guy I rented the scooter from was super nice. How many fucking kilometers is that? I don't know. 130 or something. No. Yeah. 130. Is that right? Somewhere in that ballpark. But the dude I rented the scooter from was super nice and wanted to talk about stuff and was just happy to not have a normal tourist with no motorcycle license who had no idea what they were doing, rent a 50 CC scooter and then crash it and then not want to pay for repairs. <laughs> So the fact that I actually like new motorcycles and have a proper motorcycle license and like rented a bigger, a bigger scooter, he was, uh, just happy about that and was super accommodating. Um, yeah. So just overall pretty fun, pretty cool experience and not insanely expensive. So if someone's looking for something random and not just like, you know, going to Miami, Florida or something, you should check out Croatia, uh,
0: yeah, I'm looking at some pictures on from from Google Maps and it, it is it's very pretty. It's very it looks like it's very dense as far as buildings like everything's got these it's very close together with these red roofs. Yeah,
2: that, that is definitely roofs. common. So the entire coastline cuz it's so pretty. That's where most of the people are the second you get out into the mountains, there's fucking nothing. It's crazy. There's all kinds of other cool stories and cigarette butts. There's just nothing out there. There's weird, there's remnants from like, so I mean, basically the, you know, there's all kinds of crazy history I could go into. I don't want to bore people to tears, but there's a lot of like Greek and Roman history there. And some of that shit is like insanely old. And when I got out in the middle of nowhere, every, everywhere you looked, there were these little hand-built rock walls. Everywhere you look, nobody lived there. There were no houses, no structures, but there probably were a long ass time ago. And they're it, they're everywhere. It's super crazy. And also, you don't want to get too rowdy when you get out, especially on the borders of Croatia with other countries that are in the middle of nowhere, because there are legitimately just a shitload of mines just hanging out, and like you'll fucking die. So something to <laughs> something to consider. We went into uh, an old bunker that was on one of these islands, and it, it interconnected. It was like my, literally miles and miles of perfectly like pretty new looking tunnels and they were just abandoned but they were not blocked off in any way and you could just go explore them all you wanted and it wasn't like full of people it was cr- it was just so such a foreign concept to me and super dangerous um our tour guide people were like because they were doing their tour guides but they're definitely a smaller time operation where they took us to like not mainstream places which is really cool and they were saying, like, hey, yeah, you can hang out here. Like, maybe go, you know, a few hundred yards here and there. But, like, I probably wouldn't go past that because there's probably mines. And we're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Mines,
0: like, like, like digging things out of the earth or mines, like, landmines? Landmines. Oh, oh, okay. That's way more dangerous than what I was thinking. Yeah, no, landmines from the war. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah.
2: And it's just everything's <laughs> open. And there were huge, like, random shafts and stuff that were just... Um, Like one in particular it was like this one inch thick armor plate looking thing that a huge shell had gone off and it exploded like the top of this thing it looked insane and there was just like a 100 foot drop to who knows what down there with no any type of (laughs) warning darwin or signs oh yeah like they don't this is they didn't give a shit this is eastern europe if you die doing something stupid then your grave said you died doing something stupid and (laughs) nobody owes you any money So yeah, pretty, I like that about Eastern Europe a lot. So anyway, that's, uh, I think that's Croatia in a nutshell. And then I went to uh, Germany to meet up with a buddy of mine back in, uh, back from Memphis. And uh, we've, he's already done it a few times, but uh, we've always talked about doing, driving Nürburgring um, and more precisely Nordschleife, which is the big old, toll road that goes around the town of Nürburg essentially because they also have in Nürburg they have the Nürburg Ring which is like the GP track so that's like the normal stereotypical race track you know with stands and all that kind of stuff and it's like you know we'll call it 2 miles long or something and it's like a normal racetrack. They do F1 there and all kinds of stuff. But the Nordschleife is technically a toll road. And it's a huge loop that goes through a whole bunch of different towns, including Nurburg. And it's like 10 miles long, maybe, with a shitload of corners. And yeah, leading up to it, for the past couple of years, I got a simulator and uh, rode, drove literally 10,000 laps around that course until I really knew it. But yeah, nothing, nothing prepares you in real life for the whole experience. It is so fucking crazy. I can't even describe. Like, I've done a lot of car stuff, a lot of motorcycle stuff, um, done plenty of track days and all the things. So fully prepared for all that. But just where you are and the people around you and the track itself is so, like, overwhelming. There's so much going on and it's so fucking rowdy. Uh, I cannot believe... That in this day and age, that place is open and legal. It is crazy.
0: What's it called? I want to. I want to Google it.
2: Uh, it's called the Nurburgring.
0: Well, no, like the the where you drove.
2: Oh yeah, I mean it's it's uh, if you just look up Nurburgring, it's typically going to bring okay. up the Nordschleife, which is the like toll uh, road. Okay. People call yeah, it it's the like Nurburgring. 13
0: miles long.
2: Yeah, people call okay. it the Nurburgring, but I think technically it's called the Nordschleife. And then what we did, I'm not going to say it in German correctly, but it's called like tourist Farten" or something like that, which means a tourist, an open tourist driving day for that track. Cause they do close it down. They race on it. So they have like 24 hours of Nürburgring and all kinds of, they do tons of racing out there. But usually in the summertime during the week from 5 PM to 7 PM, it's just an open toll road. And, uh, from, and then on the weekends it's open like all day, Saturday, Sunday, but they'll close it down certain times for racing and all that kind of stuff. And they usually close it down in the wintertime because it's just snowy and stuff. But basically, at the end of the day, the takeaway is it's probably the most challenging racetrack on the planet. And it is a racetrack. It's technically a toll road. And technically, during this tourist farting stuff, you have to drive a street-legal vehicle. Like, it has to be plated. Um, and I think it's it's like €35 Euros for the average person to do one lap and I'll, I'll post videos and pictures and all that stuff. The number of people out there is mind boggling. It is just a, what did you drive? We drove three different cars. Um, but the number, the number of people out there is so crazy. They're just lined up like out the city essentially to get in when it opens. It's so crazy. So it's the sheer, it's the fact that you're going at full race pace on a racetrack. That has so much elevation change. That's one thing that doesn't come across. Holy shit is their elevation change. Like they're some of the the number of times that you had one to four wheels off the ground
0: was <laughs> crazy.
2: And that was in, we were in a considered slow car. If you're in an 800 horsepower, whatever, race prep Porsche, it's it's absolutely bananas. Uh, other takeaways, the number of people in, no joke, half of a million dollar or more expensive full-blown supercars out there is crazy. And, like, there's no insurance out there. If you wad your shit up, the insurance company tells you to fuck off. Like, you're done. It's just crazy. So, and these, like, unobtainium cars, we're talking, like, full race prep Porsche 911 GT2s. And if you look those up, you'll see what I'm talking about. They are just like rare unobtainium cars and they're out there racing them, which is awesome, but super crazy and everything else in between, you know, Ferraris, Lambos, so many just amazing 911 GT3s, GT2s, um, all kinds of crazy, crazy, crazy machinery out there. So if you're a car nut, like it is a place to go and also just the whole culture around it, everything revolves around the racetrack in the entire town and all the towns that touch it um every you can watch it like 20 different places around the racetrack you just like drive up to the side of the track on a public road and you can see like the race course and you can just watch uh other takeaways a shitload of people crash on it not surprisingly enough so i witnessed at least like i witnessed three people full total a car like done Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Like
0: expensive, expensive ones? Um,
2: I think uh, one was like a Cataram, which is like a kit car. Uh, one was an E46 M3, and I don't remember what the other one was. It might have been one of the rentals. But, yeah, it's crazy. And those are the ones that I saw. Um, so out there, you're almost constantly, at some point, there's a yellow flag on the course. So, again, just all the stuff that revolves around this racetrack is so crazy. The infrastructure the number of people that work to keep it running, uh, the it's not a safe race track because there's not a lot of runoff. <laughs> Cause there's not a lot of runoff. Like it's just not designed that way. Like it's not like a modern GP track where, you know, at the end of the front straight yeah,
1: there's no sand trap. At
2: the end of the front straight, if your brakes just failed, at worst you might hit like an air barrier, but you're gonna have like tons of runoff and then a gravel trap, and then like they design for these things, right? But not at the Nürburgring, like you just hit a guardrail. Um, so anyway, consequences, super high, lots of people, lots of varying speeds. There's people going like in full blown streetcars going slow as shit. And there's people in 800 horsepower, fully race pep cars who've done 10,000 laps out there and they're there to get the fastest time for their own pleasure. Right? Like it's so crazy. So anyway, yeah,
1: like you watch a video and there's like a GT 40 that's overtaking like a base civic.
2: Yes, exactly. And that's what it's like out there. And at any given time, there are. Hundreds of people on track at the same time, always. So anyway, totally what did you drive? Totally bonkers. Uh, we drove three different cars. Uh, we drove a Suzuki Swift to start with. Um, also pretty impressed. The whole like rental process was pretty good. I mean, it's a real deal. Like they, you know, they go through all the stuff, you know, even though we have experience racing cars, they still go over stuff because they have people that have never done this shit before. So they go over all the prerequisite stuff and they tell you like it is because people crash their cars all the time. And they're like, look, it depends on which car you get. Generally speaking, it's around 10,000 euros if you wreck it. So you don't want to wreck it because it's going to cost 10,000 euros. Um, Also, it's 10,000 euros is the, um, that's essentially the insurance deductible for that particular type of car, but you also have to pay for all the damage to the track, which probably 50% of the time you're going to do damage to the track because there's a guardrail. And if you, they're very German. If you ding the guardrail, they replace it and it's very expensive. And you also have to use their tow truck service. And I mean, they do all this stuff because you can't just like wait for some random tow truck to show up on the Nürburgring. Like they are, it's like a racetrack. They show up quickly with like this crazy baller. Uh, uh, it's like
1: a wrecked vehicle extraction. Oh, yeah. More
2: than a wrecker They do it fast. And they've got like a safety car out there. They cone it off. Because there's still people racing. It's crazy. Uh, so anyway. So what was the next car? First car was a Suzuki Swift. And it's a little front wheel drive. Because I'm looking
0: at the Suzuki. Yeah, I'm looking at the Suzuki Swift. And it looks kind of kind of Bobo. So <laughs> <Yeah. what laughs> well what you was say next?
2: You say that. Um, so you got to understand a couple things. One is you absolutely do not want to be in a fast car on the Nürburgring. So in the Suzuki Swift, for example, on the straights we were doing 120. So like you do not want to be in a fast car. Absolutely not. Horrible idea. So other things about the Suzuki Swift: it's a little turbo front-wheel drive car. This one's fully race prepped. They did a really good job doing stuff that makes it racetrack worthy. So it's gutted on the interior, so it's quite a bit lighter. Uh big brake kit, like real deal big brake kit. I don't remember who made this one. Could have been, you know, bear or something like that. But like big brake kit, full Olin suspension, which is wild. Like definitely 2000 dollars a corner kind of stuff. And uh harnesses, roll cage, uh seats and other than that like drivetrain wise stock car and of course cool. you know our comp tires and uh, wheels and stuff but basically race car from a safety standpoint also you would not want to you would not want to drive Nurburgring in a stock car for a lot of reasons uh, but the big one is it's just it's so many corners so much hard braking if you were in a regular seat like you would you would blow your abs and your neck out like with a regular seat belt and a regular seat like you just couldn't do it you basically what so was the next car you got to be harnessed in uh so next car was a mini cooper it was the john cooper works one so it's like maybe 220 horsepower so we're going from i think it was 160 or 180 horsepower on the swift uh to like 220 on the mini and the mini same thing full race prepped ohlins big brakes whole nine yards that thing was really impressive And I've raced some Minis before back in the day, like when the second gen Mini Turbo came out. One of my buddies had one with just R Comp tires and a limited slip diff, and that thing freaking ripped. So it did uh, mostly autocross in that car. But anyway, drove the Mini Cooper. And then last car was a BMW. It was a 125, I believe. I think it's a wagon, like a little hatch thing. They don't sell it in the US. Uh, just a European thing. And it's like, a, I don't know, maybe a 250 horsepower um, rear-wheel drive car. Same thing, race prepped, full olins So yeah, same same story there. But yeah, overall, super cool. Um, we did a whole bunch of laps, probably combined between both of us, maybe 20 laps or so. And then for those curious, it is in those type of cars, it ends up being about, once you factor everything in, because it like costs more to do your first lap. Versus your subsequent laps, but we did multiple days, so they like you know they didn't double charge us for all that stuff. And the place we used is called Rent for Ring, and they were really really good, so highly recommend them. They're just a good group of people who like are car enthusiasts and like will work with you on stuff and like you know talk to you about car setup and like you know all these cars are fairly modern. They've got you know a zillion different modes you can mess with and all that stuff, and they're you know good for giving advice on all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, for those curious, it's about 150 euro per lap is what it costs. And that includes, uh, everything, which is impressive actually. So that is, uh, essentially the 35 euro ticket per lap and it's the fuel. And then obviously the wear on the car and you are, I mean, some people, you know, just want to dilly dally around, but like we were driving the cars fucking hard. Basically there was not a corner where we weren't just full squealing tires because that's just what these R-Comp tires do. So yeah, beat the crap out of these cars and, you know, very hard on the brakes. We went through, all told, probably three tanks of gas would be my guess for 20
0: laps.
2: (laughs) Nice. Because you're wide open the whole time. Well, awesome. Yeah, anyway, so that's Nürburgring. It's fucking insane. So for anyone who's a car enthusiast, it's definitely something you should do in your lifetime. And like, I definitely could see... The Nurburgring not being a thing in the future because it's so fucking insane and I can't believe it's legal and like people do die out there. Like usually it's one person a year.
1: I, I have a question. Yeah. Did were cigarettes included in the rental? <laughs> no. No.
0: Nice. So yeah, well.
1: that that's uh, that's Nurburgring. That was pretty much that
2: was pretty much the trip. Uh, I like German food for the most part. Uh, Jäger Schnitzel is the shit. Everyone should you should just get Jäger Schnitzel. Jaeger schnitzel. I can't talk when you go there. It's awesome. And it is essentially, uh, it's schnitzel. And schnitzel is just, it's essentially chicken fried steak, but it's usually pork. And they have have other versions of it as well. But it's real thinly sliced. And the Jaeger schnitzel part of it is not Jaegermeister. It is uh, I don't know they just call it schnitzel but it's essentially a mushroom gravy that they put over it, and then they usually serve it with uh, pomace, pommes, p o m m e s I think is how you spell it, which are just French fries. Oh, nice. So I think it's chicken fried steak with like super hearty mushroom sauce with like mushrooms in it all over French fries. I like it. And it's very popular. I'll, I'll
0: make I'll make something without mushrooms so Matt will eat it.
1: Oh, you don't like mushrooms, Matt. I don't eat olives or mushrooms.
2: Okay. I mean, it's understandable. Like, they're pretty weird. And as weird as I am, you would think that
1: I would not like mushrooms. But shockingly enough, I fucking love mushrooms. Kenny's like, the closest I'll get to a vegetable is a mushroom, but you got to make it into gravy and put it on fried chicken nuggets. That is exactly correct. And I had another
2: kind of twist version of Jaeger schnitzel, but it was with like a, it was like a turkey steak instead of schnitzel. And it was on uh, Spatzle noodles, which are like a kind of a egg noodle type thing, like a doughy egg noodle. Cool. And that was the bomb too. So anyway, I think that's enough about me not talking about bikes at all and talking about vacation shit. But yeah, <laughs> t- takeaway is Croatia is pretty cool and uh, the Nürburgring is fucking insane. And, but yeah, nobody died and we didn't have to buy a car, which is really cool.
0: That's, that's all you can ask for.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, bike stuff. Uh, yeah, I haven't really been biking. So sorry, no updates there. I am... Matt, Matt,
0: just just so the audience knows, if you could hear me awkward pausing there for any reason through the microphone, Matt went into the bathroom and applied some chamois cream to some chafing he had, and I think he might have had his finger in his butthole.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it happens.
1: I will neither confirm nor deny.
0: Never a dull moment around here. Um, do we want to talk about bike stuff or do we want to do some listener questions that have to do with bikes? Because we have been recording for a hot minute and we should probably put one of those things in here.
2: <laughs> yeah, we should probably answer a few questions. So, yeah, sorry for rambling about you're up for 30 minutes. Yeah.
0: Oh, Kenny, we had last last week a question that was really um, for like in your alley. Um, basically, we have a listener named Dan who wants to know he has he got a specialized tarot 5.0 for his wife for commuting uh-huh. and wants to know if there's a smaller, lighter battery option that she can use while riding trails just to make it a little bit... Um, they don't need the long range for that and want to shave a little weight.
2: That is a great question. We've only sold a few Taro's. I, I'm not super familiar with the battery system they use, but I think the short answer is no. I don't think there's another battery you can use. I'm 99% sure that it does not use the regular Levo battery. Unfortunately, it uses like its own. It's like a different form factor, essentially. Even though the motor yeah, is it, looked like it, had a little, uh, it looked
0: like it had a little. It looked like it had a little, like a latch, like a lever you could yeah. throw to take the battery out.
2: Yeah, and I think they're doing that because they want, obviously, they want the battery to be removable a little quicker and easier than like on a mountain bike, because they're gonna assume more people are gonna commute on a Tarot. So, I think it's more similar to the Vado Como on how it comes out. But again, I'm way more familiar with the Vado Comos because we sell so many more of those. But the Tarot, yeah, I don't know if it uses the same battery as the Como Vado or if it's a different form factor altogether. I can do some research, but no, I don't think that there is a lighter battery unfortunately and if there was and again i'm making this up guys like don't freak out if this is incorrect information but if the i think the tarot has got a fairly big battery maybe like a six or seven hundred watt hour if they do make like a more entry-level version of that battery for like the cheaper version of the bike it might be like a hundred watt hours less capacity and it's going to have just different cells inside of it that's what they're due for all their other bikes so again, so, this, so it
0: wouldn't really be that much no lighter. it
2: might be like we'll call it one pound lighter A, I don't even think they make a different battery for it, but B, if they did, it would just be like the more entry level cells in the same form factor. Like it would look the same, but the cells are just physically less dense and there's like a tiny bit lighter. And in the Levo world going from the 500 watt hour battery to the 700 watt hour battery, I think it's like one or two pounds. So it's something, but not much. And most everyone in their right mind doesn't want to give up 200 watt hours of capacity for a couple pounds. Like everybody opts for the bigger battery. Cool. So yeah, sorry. All right.
0: Next question from Jordan says I recently bought a Santa Cruz Mega Tower V2 XL. The Santa Cruz website says that this cannot be run mullet even though many bikes in this category can. What are the considerations for converting to mullet and do you have any ideas on how I could convert this bike? I don't.
1: Yeah, you, I mean you just don't.
2: Generally speaking, you just don't. I mean the big thing about doing so forget that you're going to mess up the bottom bracket height and all that stuff. Even if it's got like a flippy chippy thing that you can play with, you could maybe get it acceptable and like run a 2.6 or bigger tire to try to help on diameter a tiny bit. But at that point, it's like you're doing all this work and buying another wheel and you're maybe not even affecting the diameter by that much. But the other big takeaway is your bike really should be made around a mullet setup for a bottom bracket reasons. But the other one is you're going to have an artificially long chainstay with just like a whole bunch of, empty space there so like,
1: and the mega tower has two chainstay positions it, i don't know if the v2 does maybe maybe it doesn't but the at least it used to it had long and longer
2: got it got it so my advice would just be like why do it i'm not saying don't do mullet i think mullet's probably the future for most bikes to be honest respect. well sorry lies M- mullet is probably future for most medium to long travel bikes i truly think that that's just going to be where the market goes but it's got to be built around it just like i think all these bikes are going to go with shorter cranks eventually uh, but the bike's got to be built around it like don't just slap 150 mil cranks on your like normal bike because it's going to be all fucked up same thing unfortunately i wouldn't just throw a 27.5 wheel on a bike that's like truly only designed to be 29 because it's just going to be kind of fucked up
0: all right also, I'm going to mix it up. I'm want to do. i going to have
2: to do more like, research on that because like we are a Santa Cruz dealer, but all that stuff is honestly a little foggy to me. I don't know. Uh, so, some of their bikes can do both, but they're, my understanding is almost everyone that's able to do both is they ship them. You either buy it 27, five or you buy it 29 and they come with completely different chain stays, like totally different rear triangles.
0: That makes sense. Um, I do want to do some new shit just because I want to mix it up, and I'll save a couple of the more recent listener questions for next week.
1: Uh, Which is just a few days from now. Yeah.
0: So some new shit we can kind of rapid fire uh, to pay our wolf tooth tax. The Otso Arctitus, the one that you got last year, is now available in titanium. Man, so, so I, just got the, get,
2: I just got the old pleb shit now? Yep. Damn.
0: And yeah, so it's it's basically the same thing you've got, but in tie. And I'm looking for a weight here, and I don't see it.
2: Yeah, if I crammed a <laughs> if I crammed a motor on a titanium bike, I'd feel I'd feel slightly bad. Awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, they don't give a weight, but I'm sure it's you know a pound or two lighter than your steel one. That would uh, this
2: seem reasonable. Do you know if anything else changed on it? Did they like? Does it still have all the normal flippy-chippy stuff that they're known for? Or did they like change anything else drastic? Or is it really just we made the tubes in titanium?
0: I think it's just made the tubes in titanium. I don't know. The article I'm reading doesn't give like a comparison of what one is versus the other. And I don't want to sit here and click-clack through the website to... uh,
2: Does it come with a titanium fork or is it carbon?
0: Carbon. So it comes with a carbon fork. Uh, You can use their... Head tube angle adjustment, the geoshift angle headset. So, yeah, that's, I don't know, that's that's kind of it. It's just a lighter version of your steel bike. Got it. Interesting here from Trek. Uh, if you have a Trek that is, I went and looked at the website, year 2000 or later, you can trade it in as with a trade-up program uh, at a Trek store. Um, you can go online, and they'll give you an estimate of what they would give you. And I kind of went in and put some, like, I don't know, kind of shitty specifications in there. Like a 2006, I don't know. Marlin or something. Yeah, like something crappy. Yeah, yeah, for older bikes, like, it told me whatever bike I put in, it said they'd give me, like, $240 for it or something. Uh, But, yeah, they're already selling them on the website. Uh, they've got some shiny new shit on there. But... Yeah, they're doing trade-up with Trek's Red Barn Refresh Used Bike Program is what it's called. And do you guys have any thoughts or feelings about that? Uh,
2: I haven't read all the details even though I'm a dealer, so I'll have to go figure that one out. I did hear about it in the periphery, but we had other stuff going on, so I haven't hashed out all the details on like, what that looks like from a business standpoint. So I will report back if I am bummed out by any of that stuff.
0: And then something that's going to... I know bum some local shop out. Uh, Yeti is now going direct to consumer. And they do say in this article that, you know, they're trying to support dealers by offering, you know, if you pick a bike on the website and you want to go look at it, you can say what shop has this bike, and you can actually look at a shop's inventory on the website. Uh, But I can say that the unless the local bike shop here in Salida, absolute, unless they have stopped, I'll go ahead and name it, Unless Absolute has stopped selling Yeti because of this, they don't have uh, their inventory. And that's something the article mentions is that the inventory for a lot of local shops is just not on the website. So I can see that as being kind of shitty.
2: Yeah, I mean, Yeti, this is a slightly blanket statement, but I think... A lot of the Yeti dealers might be a little smaller. They might be smaller shops. And, you know, for all this, uh, for all this B2B communication that happens behind the scenes to like share inventory with these, with, you know, from dealers up to the manufacturers, you have to run certain point of sale systems and all that kind of stuff, right? So if you don't meet all those criteria, your shit is just a black hole, right? Like it just doesn't communicate.
0: Yeah. I know uh, Wheat Ridge, I just checked around in Denver, Wheat Ridge Cyclery, which is a, one of the larger if not the biggest shop in denver in the denver metro area at least um their inventory is on the website yeah on the i mean Yeti for the website. most
2: part if you run a point of sale system uh light speed or ascend those are the two big players in the game and there's a few others if you run both of those, either one of those programs all of these things will probably play nice but if you don't yeah you're you might be kind of screwed
0: but yeah so they're kind of doing like the it looks kind of like the specialized model where they basically as- assemble and deliver the bike to the customer with, uh, in a way that you can just install your front wheel and handlebar, and the brakes are bedded in, the tubeless sealant is added, and suspension settings are dialed for the customer. But that's yeah. kind of the, the the interesting new shit that I thought we should cover. Um, there's some other new shit we can talk about next time if we want to.
2: Yeah, I've got I've got a pretty pretty big one to cover. Um, I mean, it shouldn't be super time-consuming, but definitely big news uh, would be Cigna Sports, uh, S-S-U. So people may not realize what all that encompasses. So Cigna, S-I-G-N-A, Sports United, is like the parent company. And there's some other weird relationships there with um, like partner kind of secret companies, if you will. So there's a lot of drama that goes into this. But essentially, just know that Cigna is the parent company that owns Nukeproof, Vitus, Chain Reaction Cycles, Wiggle, and a few others. They are uh, maybe out of business.
0: Oh, yeah. Speaking of that, uh, Gorilla Gravity is apparently out of business now.
2: Yep. I think that one's separate.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I was just... You said out of business, and it just yeah. sparked my memory.
2: So it's not like they're not officially out of business and not officially declaring bankruptcy but it's not looking good and there's some drama and also like locally here Cigna has set up a little kind of hub if you will that does a whole bunch of nuke-proof and Vitus stuff I don't know what else they do out of there but I know a lot of local people are affected it was up there in Park City so you know probably good news for the likes of competitive cyclists slash backcountry because they were kind of direct competitors because of chain reaction and wiggle, uh, but also you know bad news for the people that worked for that company. So it'll be interesting to see where that one lands. There's going to be a lot of industry shakeup that's happening for sure. Yeah, if
0: you go to Cigna Sports website and go to their news link, um, they have a whole list of kind of all the bad shit that's going on like yeah. being delisted from the New York Stock Exchange.
2: Yeah, and and basically there was some investor, essentially. I don't know if it was a single person or not, but someone who was like kind of part of the company and they basically had, my understanding is essentially like a $150 million line of credit essentially that they could use. But I think the dude who was offering that $150 million line of credit saw the writing on the wall. And even though he was basically saying like, oh, yeah, I'm just like kind of here and you can just use as much of it as you want whenever you want kind of thing. He one day was just like, I'm out and just up and left. And I think that was like all the liquidity that that company had unfortunately. So I think uh, all the eggs in, in that basket. But I think they assumed that maybe it was a, a better relationship than it actually was or something. I don't know. It sounds like there's some drama there if you read between the lines. Well, poop. Yeah, but yeah, Chain Reaction and Wiggle. So outside the local stuff here, which is more nuke-proof Vitus, Chain Reaction and Wiggle were, you know, huge. They were, They were Europe's competitive cyclists. And I don't yeah. think that they were... After the whole Shimano thing.
0: where um, they sh- had to start sell- selling Shimano parts at actual retail <laughs> yes, instead exactly. of. exactly.
2: Sort of- so that's how they came on our radar is because for a while there, it was the Wild Wild West and Chain Reaction and Wiggle were just selling gray market Shimano stuff over here with free shipping and no taxes. And that was obviously a problem. Oh, and below retail. So that's that was obviously not good. And where was I going with that? Um, Yeah, they haven't been, I don't think they've been as disruptive in the U.S. lately, but I'm still sure people used them, but pretty wild. Like that's going to be, yeah, it's just a really, really big shakeup, pretty wild stuff.
0: All right. Should we make the listeners wait for the Tom P. discussion of uh, 29er history?
1: Nope. Kenny told us about Croatia's history. Now let's have Tom teach us about 29er history (laughs) and then we will shut her down. Oh, I'm reading this motherfucker? motherfucker. God damn. Well, and this, fuck this you, probably Tom. this probably comes back
2: to I'm sure you'll mention this, but it comes back to a few episodes ago where we were talking about like when were when did twenty-nines become like, you know, who did it and when did they come like truly adopted and all that kind of stuff? Is that where this is branching off of?
1: He says, Correct, Kenny. Yeah, the twenty-nine thing. Here it comes. Wes Williams and Butte was making bikes under the name Willets. That's W-I-L-L-E-T-S. He was experimenting with seven hundred C tourist touring rims and the biggest cyclocross tires he could find. He was constantly bugging the tire companies to make a true twenty nine greater than seven hundred and fifty seven by seven hundred by fifty two, I believe. He and Don McClung and Mike Russ and Slider were friends and he influenced them to start building for seven hundred C. Bob Poor was a dude from C B who was Wes's backer, I believe. Meanwhile, because of the famous Pearl Pass ride, which became a tradition and which became ridden more by Bay Area types than Beautyans, Gary Fisher came around. I think maybe he bought one of Wes's bikes and became a proponent of the platform. Gary was proposing proposing to build a production bike and promised WTB a minimum order of the tire, which was the Nanoraptor. Gillis, that's Sean Gillis of Absolute Bikes, called it the Oh No Raptor because that's what you say when all the cornering traction disappears. And it, Andrew is laughing because that's something Gillis would say. He'd be like, oh, you mean the Oh No Raptor? <laughs> They went into production in '99. Marzocchi and White Brothers were making started making 29 forks. After CB in Marin County, California, I'm pretty sure Salida was the epicenter of 29. In 2001, the Super Caliber was released. In 2002, the Karate Monkey from Surly. Nishiki and Diamondback both briefly produced 29er bikes. Dave Ween's raced for Diamondback during those years, and he said the bike did not impress him. Meh. Around that time, the custom frame, frame building industry lit up. I ordered one, a Kurtlo. But the first one I had was a Super Cal 29 that I bought secondhand from Scott Banks. It was aluminum, horrors, and a ridiculously low bottom bracket. But it was an amazing hardtail. After the first ride, I put my Moots YBB 26 up for sale. It took fucking years for the industry to catch on. I was working at Absolute and was all in on 29. I argued with people on mountain bikers and customers. I begged rep for stuff like wider tires. Mountain bike review forum. Oh, I argued with people on MTBR and customers. I begged for reps for stuff like wider tires. And the story was the ovens for bike tires were just so big. A true 29 by 23 with any kind of tall knobs wouldn't fit. So we dealt with smallest fast rolling tires for years. The Yeti rep was a cool guy. And I remember asking why the hell they wouldn't make a loop tail hardtail in 29. He made the clown car noise. What was the first 29? Specialized Fox Rock Shocks. On and on. It took years. Now all the people I argue with are old, so there's nobody to say I told you so <laughs> to enough. And that's how Tom enters his or ends his email. Because I can't speak, and we've had history from Tom, it's time to... Kenny, I'm queuing you up.
2: Oh, yeah. I wasn't quite ready. Uh, The (laughs) takeaway from that is don't be a curmudgeon uh, because people might be right.
1: Yeah. I am not getting shorter cranks. Go fuck yourself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying it's going to be mullets and short cranks. Uh, I'm calling it right now. Okay.
1: Okay. Can I can I plug one other thing real quick? Sure. I rode the Esker Hayduke LVS, which if you haven't been paying attention, not just you, Kenny, which I'm sure you haven't because you've been driving Suzuki Swifts at a swift pace. It is a Esker Hayduke with a 600 millimeter chainstay for bikepacking. I got to ride one of those, albeit it was a small, that's the only size that was in the van that wasn't the demo van that was in my driveway. Thanks, Barker two takeaways one the bike is insanely stable two it turns oddly well and three going back to like when we talk about going fast i don't know that short chainstays are it you know the stump jumper has long chainstays it goes fast this bike has a long chainstay it feels really stable and really cozy but the last and most important thing is yes you can wheelie a bike with 600 millimeter chainstays
0: all right i think it's time to shut it down
1: all right, shut her down.
0: Kenny, last week um, I did clip you saying shut it down and put it in that episode. <laughs> all right, everyone, thank you all for watching or listening. I, well, because the next no, the next thing I was going to say is watch our website, jrashow.com. Watch our Instagram. We are going to have a special charity sticker out. You'll be able to donate to a local charity Um, around the Arkansas Valley area. More information about that once we have the stickers in hand, but they are ordered. Um, You'll make a donation. You'll get a sticker in exchange for that donation. And once all of the stickers are gone, we will send all of our profits to the charity. So uh, keep an eye out. That will probably be available before the next episode or sorry after episode 116 sometime or before then I don't know it's late I'm going to bed thanks for all thank you (laughs) Andrea was tired before me got him (laughs) all right everyone thank you all for listening and good night
1: thanks for tuning in to the just riding along show
0: Ah. there's some shit coming out of your brake pads (laughs)